A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Also, I'm Brody Lancaster. And I'm Kate Jinks. And welcome to one of our Toy Poodle episodes. This is a special episode that we've been doing every so often where we take a really deep dive into something we love or something that really interests us. And we thought that for Halloween, or as Alexi Toliopoulos, our recent guest, loved to say, the spooky season, which is upon us, we should do a special Halloween series uh, of a favorite franchise of ours, particularly yours, BL. Yes, truly one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, the films we're talking about today, Wes Craven's Scream trilogy. And I say they're my favorite movie because I can't distinguish one from the other. I love all three of them equally. And I love the story that they tell. And I love Nev Campbell. <laughs> I do too, but I feel slightly differently about the trilogy, uh, which I think we will probably get into. I love them, but some more than others, shall we say. But yeah, when we when you and I were talking about doing a Halloween special, I started thinking about like Halloween movies, you know, movies that take place in October with pumpkins, etc. But that genre just the door to it opens real wide when you take in every kind of like horror, slasher, thriller, <laughs> just listing genres now. I love <laughs> I love a slasher. I love a real world movie where teens get murdered or adults. Me too. Um, I mean, look, Halloween gives us so many joyful experiences in cinema and you can go drama if you want for Halloween. You can watch like the Skeleton Twins, some great Halloween scenes there. 
don't watch the skeleton twins on Halloween. <laughs> I, why not? It's a good film. Uh, you could watch E.T., some great Halloween scenes there. Anything with a costume constitutes a Halloween movie. The prom scene in Never Been Kissed, that's oh. a Halloween movie. I've God, that's a been, I don't think I've seen that since it came out. All right, well, mental note, putting that on the board for down the line. Is that what I'm watching on Halloween night? Yeah, maybe. I'll come over. All right, well, speaking of never being kissed, that brings us to Drew Barrymore, and that is where the Scream trilogy opens. Casey Becker is taunted on the phone while making popcorn after killing her boyfriend and then tragically her, the masked killer with a love of scary movies, turns on the sleepy California wine country town of Woodsboro, he begins by attacking Sydney Prescott, our Sid, our final girl, spoiler. After fending off the killers in Kevin Williamson's original Scream, he and director Wes Craven returned the following year, 1997, as Sydney tried to get on with her life as a normal college student. Ghosts from her past and fans of the horror movie her life had become have other ideas. Three years later, to close out her trilogy, we saw Sid as a recluse locking herself away from the world and counselling women on the traumatic events she knows so well. Spoiler alert, even more ghosts from her past pop up in Scream 3 and she has to end her story once and for all in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, don't we all? You keep saying ghosts from her past, but shouldn't it be ghost faces from her past, BL? Oh, Jinxie. You did it. <laughs> I did it. I went there. <laughs> I think also props to us for not starting this episode with do you like scary movies? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. Yes, of course. Of course, duh. <laughs> We're talking about Scream. And I still genuinely find these movies very scary. Like even after all these years, after dozens and dozens of watches, I think I saw the original like when it came out. So I was like seven years old. Jesus. Watching Scream. Like we've you and I have talked before about how our parents didn't really put rules mm. around what we watched, but sometimes I think they really should have. Yeah, I know. I got away with murder, not literally as a child. Um, I was imprisoned for that. No, I wasn't. Sorry. Um, <laughs> a little a little Michael Myers over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I saw this at the cinema when it came out and I loved it. But, I, you know, I was 16 by that point, which is a more reasonable age, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I just remember I have a, a vivid, like, photographic memory of the house that my family lived in when I first saw this film. And in our bathroom, we just had a really tiny window, like up very high near the ceiling. And I remember being like a little kid brushing my teeth and like staring at the ground because I had convinced myself that if I looked up at the window, Ghostface's mask would be there like waiting for me. And so for the three years after that, I like never looked out the bathroom window because I was just convinced that he was around every corner, but it didn't traumatize me question mark I don't think it did I don't know jury's out BL <laughs> you did come over to my place recently and uh point out exactly how I could evade uh ghost face should there be a serial killer in my home so you have a scream door yeah can you explain the concept of a scream door please well yes yeah, so in the first scream um a very significant plot point that establishes itself very early when Billy Loomis aka Skeet Ulrich Climbs in uh, Sydney's window to look at her boobs. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Her dad comes to open her bedroom door, and but she has her closet door open, and it's like a little design flaw, I guess, where when her closet door is open, you can't open her bedroom door. 
And this comes back later when the killer is chasing her up the stairs through her house and she opens the closet door to keep him out. And that's how I think that was Stu doing the chasing in that scene, by the way, because Billy knew (laughs) about the door. Um, But I, in my apartment, I have two of these. When my wardrobe door is, is open, you can't come into my bedroom. And when my laundry door is open, you can't come in my front door. And I reveal to you that the same is true of your bathroom and front doors. So don't even try to rob us or murder us because no. we know the tricks. We know the tricks. Yeah. I was like, oh, I've got a panic room. I never knew. <laughs> that wasn't on the listing. Okay. We need to talk Nev very, you know, we need to yes. take a lot of time to talk about our Nev. But she was also, I think we need to point out, she was also in the craft that year and I was way more about the craft in 1996 mm-hmm. and, to be fair, in 2022 than I was about Scream. Mm-hmm. But I loved that she was showing her range uh, in those two teen <laughs> horror films. Skeet Ulrich got a little typecast in those two. Yeah, he did. He's a bad boy. He's a horny bad boy. But, yeah, she had she had done a few movies in Canada by that point and I think one season of Party of Five. And I was reading a... um like an oral history of Scream that I might mention a little bit as we talk through the um, the three films, but The Ringer did an oral history on the first film uh, last year or the year before, and the casting director said that um, when they were searching for their Sydney, it was down to three actresses, Nev Campbell, Brittany Murphy, R.I.P., and Alicia Witt, whose name was not familiar to me. I love Alicia Witt. Well, I Googled her and I was like, oh, my God, she's the girl with the stapler in two weeks' notice. Yes, she is. Yes, yeah. she is. She's many things, including that. What else? What um, else has she been in that you love? I think the first thing I saw her in was Fun, which uh, is about two best friends, teen girls, who uh, kill someone, and it's like their kind of shared hysteria and then incarceration. Um, but I was really, really obsessed with that film when it came out. It was like 1994. I remember getting that VHS a lot from my local video store, Stan the Video Man. Shout out, Stan the Video Man. Shout out. So, right, so it would have made sense, like, right after that, that she would have been up for a role like this. Yeah, she was playing, like, she was in, um, like, much later, but she was also in uh, John Waters' Cecil B. Demented. She was she had a great character uh, in that. But she was in, like, mm-hmm. the TV show Sybil and um, Citizen Ruth as well. But she's, like, she's made heaps and heaps of films, but I think she's one of those actors that you might not remember or mm-hmm. you might not know. Yeah. Who someone like me just thinks of as the girl with the stapler who, like, <laughs> fights with Sandra Bullock. I mean, fair. That's fair. Um, so apparently Drew Barrymore was up for the role of Sydney. They kind of wanted her for it. She, um, you know, I've spoken to you off mic quite a lot about Drew Barrymore's talk show. I think it's an absolute horror show <laughs> and not mm-hmm. like Scream. But um, One to watch did... for Halloween, BL? Or... <laughs> yeah, watch the archives of the, the very long clip on Drew Barrymore's talk show's YouTube channel where she drives around LA and points out the places where she, like, lived when she was an addict. It's a very it's a very strange daytime talk show. Um, anyway, she did an episode last year where it must have been peak COVID because they were filming like on the panel desk in the middle of a park in LA. And she was with Ross Matthews, who I guess is like a correspondent on her show. 
and Danny Pellegrino, who hosts like reality TV recap podcasts that I really love. And she was telling them all about um, Scream. It was right before Scream 5 was due to come out. Um, And she said that she was almost like a silent producer of the original. She'd read the script, was attached to play Sydney, was just obsessed with it and really tried to like push it through, get it funding, etc. And she asked to play Casey. She wanted to do that kind of Janet Lee um, trope where the most famous person in the cast who you assume is going to be your star dies off early to show that, you know, all bets are off. Anyone can die in this. The the stakes are really high. Um, and I also loved in that interview, she gave the little tidbit that her wig, the famous like blonde Bob with the heavy fringe as she's making popcorn. Um, she took a photo of Michelle Pfeiffer in Scarface to the wig maker and that was <laughs> the reference. Apparently Bob Weinstein wanted her to look like, to show more skin, oh, of course. but she famously wore that like big cable net cream jumper. I mean, there's a, it's essentially a crop top when she's running. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's an iconic Halloween look, obviously. Truly. Can we zoom out a bit on Scream that it is no matter how much, like how many times you've seen it, or you know the killer, etc. It is just so fun to watch. It had been a really long time since I had seen it. Like I've seen it, I've revisited it a number of times since it came out in 1996. But yeah, wow, it was just such a good. T- I think I'd forgotten what a good time the Scream films, three notwithstanding, are. <laughs> yeah, it's really like Kevin Williamson really created this story that was equal parts like smart funny scary like the stakes were there like we said before but it's also just like so well paced it's so tight like I kind of was shocked re-watching it for this that by the time they get to the curfew party at Stu's house only half of the film's runtime has elapsed you spend half the film in this like final location where so much happens and it never, lo- it never loses you. Everything matters. Like you believe the chemistry between Dewey and Gale. You believe, you know, the stakes for Sydney. You really care about Tatum. And like when she goes through that fucking doggy door, it's like heartbreaking. That's really, that's really hard. I, I felt, I really felt mm. that one. Um, what is also heartbreaking is that in the first scene in Sydney's bedroom, we see that she has an Indigo Girls poster up and she's playing a straight woman uh, throughout the whole series and that is the scariest thing to me. Yeah. I mean, Sid Sid reads queer to me, <laughs> especially uh, by yeah. the third one. A hundred percent. But she keeps, you know, falling for these deadbeat dudes, but she's listening to the Indigo Girls. <laughs> Maybe that's why she's so sceptical of all the men in her life. Justice for Sid is what I'm <laughs> saying. I mean, truly justice for Sid. This entire film hinges on Nev Campbell's performance and she's just so incredible. Like even I know that Scream 3 is flawed, but I think that it really hinges on the fact that she's, you see how affected she is by everything that she's experienced. Like by Scream 3, It feels like so much time has passed, but it's allegedly only been four years since the first killings. And she has gone from like this, like grieving, 
teenage girl who's lost her mother in the first one. In the second one, she is really on edge. Like she believes that like kind of bad things are just around the corner, but she also is trying to like live a normal life. She believes that the worst is over by the time that's proven wrong. And in the third film, she's like at the very first sign of danger, she's got a fucking gun. She's got pepper spray. She's like wearing a bulletproof vest. She's like ready to go to war because of everything that she's experienced. And I think that not to get too far ahead of myself, I think that's something that really lost me in the later sequels. Like when they brought it back in 2011 for Scream 4, that was something that I just came away being like, these teenagers didn't care about each other. Like they saw their friends' guts hanging out and like blood everywhere in their bedrooms for like no reason. And they didn't seem to care. And I get that like disaffected teens are like a genre unto themselves, but there's disaffected and then there's like not human. They, they, like Sydney never felt like a character. She felt like a real person to me. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, I have been saying to you, well, I really liked Scream 4. I remember really enjoying it at the cinema. And so I rewatched that last night, even though we weren't planning to talk about it, just to, I don't know, just to do a, a vibe check for myself on Scream 4. And the opening sequence is fantastic. It's really good. It's star-studded. It's funny. It's meta. It's what we all love about the Scream franchise. But yeah, it is fully that. It's just like teens seeing their friends being like disemboweled mm. and then like reaching for the popcorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't encourage anyone to see Scream 5. I truly hated it. Um, I thought it was just a terrible movie, but I realized after coming out of Scream 5, they were so fixated on like the teen of it all. And that's really um, defined everything post Scream 3 from the MTV TV show reboot, Scream 4 and Scream 5. They've decided that this story is a teenage story. Whereas to me, it was always a story about Sydney. And as she grew older, the story followed her. It's not like she was stuck in high school and we kept revisiting those years over and over. And it also felt really defined by technology. Like in the first Scream, it's obviously landline phones and the occasional mobile phone. And then when Sydney types in 911 into her like dial up computer, which is really strange. By the second film and the third, there's like caller ID, mobiles and like the voice changer software in the third that they have to like negotiate with. But by the time we came into like, you know, the 2010s, there's obviously social media and there's like electronic devices throughout the home and all of that stuff. And so it really felt like these films that were about how teenagers and technology deal with like horrifying events and they were no longer referencing horror movies. They were just referencing the Scream movies, which Mm. was, I don't know. It's just, I love the Scream movies clearly, but I don't need to see, you know, Riverdale stars talking about Stu and Billy 25 years later, you know? Yeah. To draw a like tenuous bow here, it reminds me of like, I've sort of dropped off watching RuPaul's Drag Race because in the earlier um, episodes and series, everyone, like even if they were new queens, they're le- like they would talk about like the legacy of drag queens and people outside of the drag like RuPaul metaverse, mm. but now like they're all just referencing 
a queen from two seasons ago and it's i don't know it's like yeah a drag race ouroboros happening at this point and i feel like that that's what happened with scream as well that's such a good reference yeah it's like their pop culture becomes the thing that they're in <laughs> yeah yeah and you're like yeah. well meta can only get you so far babe yeah and it doesn't feel meta anymore it's almost like like i get that there are so many movies now there's not like a monoculture in the way that like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and all of that stuff was like the monoculture in the nine, 80s and 90s. But there's still like culture, you know, there's still mm. movies and like genre. Um, yeah. So it's it, it also feels kind of like Murderinos, the movie, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mentioned the craft before and which is just screams 1996 style to me. Um, but Scream 1 does as well as Scream 2, for sure. But even like the opening title sequence, it's the same typography as the you wouldn't steal art at the beginning of the VHS tapes, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like piracy font. It is the piracy font. Yeah. I was like, I've seen this before. Uh, So that was quite (laughs) exciting. But yeah, the actual like fashion of the teenagers is interesting to me because it is not, it's not like clueless fashion. It's not like over the top or it doesn't feel overly stylized to me. It feels quite real um, Mm. that no one is, except for Rose McGowan's character of Tatum, like she's sort of the fashion one at school. Uh, But she also looks kind of like an extra from Scooby-Doo. And I really like that they captured that 90s does 60s vibe that I was so into. But yeah, just re-watching this and seeing the fashions of it, it does really feel lived in or something. Like they did a really good job of it. Totally. It doesn't feel like, as you were saying that, I was realising that so many teen films now and also, you know, in years past have really leaned into kind of uh, subcultures or, you know, the teens had to look like their uh, click or music taste or whatever, whereas these were just, you know, you you kind of got the sense that they're not the most popular kids at school, but they're also not the least. They have a certain ranking on, like, the social hierarchy, but that's not what the film's about. So they just can look like, yeah, people and Tatum looks like the girl who's just dying to leave her small town. Yeah, and then by the time you get to a Scream 2, it's all about Portia de Rossi's dark eyebrows, you know? Like, it's <laughs> like there is, like, this marker jump between the kind of cool kids and, like, whether they exist because in Scream 1 it's like they're not really around or you don't really get a handle on them. But in the second film you see the, like, the hierarchy at work within the high school. Mm. In the in the college, like the sorority hierarchy. Um, oh yeah, sorry, yes. In the in the college. Portia Dorossi just her voice in this movie is so funny. She just there's this one moment and it feels like ADR where you just hear her go, Ha Sidner <laughs> And it kills me every single time. It's so good. <laughs> Australian queen Portia. But also like Sydney's attitude about the sorority also I think goes into our um Sydney's gay canon. Oh yeah, for sure. Also like her choices of friends, um, and hanging out with these 
like she's really hanging out with a lot of film bros. Like she's this is film bro world one oh one, the scream the scream metaverse. Oh yeah. And Sydney, like in the first one, that first interaction she has with the killer on the phone, I kind of forgot what a little shit she was during that. Like she wasn't scared. She was really bold and you know she's like picking her nose to be like what am I doing can you see me she's like I don't I hate those movies it's just like blonde girls with big tits like running up the stairs when they should be running out the front door and then of course she does exactly that a moment later um but she yeah she gives off the vibe that she's like listened to Randy long enough she's like been around enough film bros that she gets it but she also you know, it's it's not her entire personality like it is for them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I've just written in my notes high beams, and I think that that is a reference to Rose McGowan's like constant, uh, yeah, nipple visibility. Yeah, there's like a framing of her in the scene when she's about to die, and she walks into the garage, and she's shot kind of from below, I think, and all you see is just her like curvy body and her big round headlight boobs. Um, And she does her, you know, like, please, Mr. Ghostman, I want to be in the sequel. But that moment where she realizes she's about to die and tries to like desperately crawl out of the dog door. I mean, I said it before, it's one of like the most devastating, like brutal sequences in this movie where all that happens is like people get cut up. That sequence really did stick with me. But I think that the sequence, even more than the Drew Barrymore um, death early on, it's the opening sequence of Scream 2. I feel like that has unfortunately stuck with me forever. It is truly terrifying and still very scary. The like lead into the Sydney story. So every Scream has... Something happened before the film starts. It's essentially like an episode of, you know, SVU where you see something take place. Or Six Feet Under. Or Six Feet Under or the L Word seasons like two to five or something when they had those terrible (laughs) flashbacks that I live for, let's face it. But in the opening of Scream 2, we have Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps going to see a film which is Stab, which is based on what happened in the first Scream film. Based on Gail's book about what happened in the first film. Yes, I should have said because Gail would be very mad that uh, <laughs> that I left Hate out her, her credit. i got to give Gail Weathers her credit where it's due. So these two characters, new characters, are going to see a film and while they're in the line they start talking about, well, Jada Pinkett Smith's character starts talking mostly about how it's such a like white genre and starts like dissecting the racial politics of horror films, which is so great. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the whole series doesn't do much else with that apart from that one excellent like little bit of dialogue and it really could have, but chose not to anyway. Yeah, the single black characters in that film and, and Scream 3 do do get taken out pretty Oh, relatively early. Yeah, and they do, like, a lot of heavy lifting and they're like, let's have these tough conversations and make them fun at the same time, mm-hmm. and then they're killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so they go to see Stab and then, oh, my God, I can barely talk about it. It's so awful. It's horrifying. Like, that. it, it remains one of the scariest and saddest. Like, it really is affecting that scene when, you know, her boyfriend gets 
stabbed in the bathroom, <sighs> but she has already seen him wearing this the ghost face mask that the studios got everyone in the cinema wearing. They're all acting like absolute fucking lunatics. Again, we talked a couple of weeks ago about cinema etiquette and there was none shown in this film. But by the time, you know, her boyfriend comes back and sits next to her, she realizes it's not him right as like the Casey proxy on screen is being killed. So the audience is going crazy as she's realizing that her boyfriend is not her boyfriend. She's covered in blood and then she gets stabbed in the belly. And as she tries to like get out of the cinema and get help, she like climbs up on stage in front of the screen and people, you you know, you hear Sydney say it later. People thought it was a publicity stunt. No one helped her. And Jada Pinkett Smith's performance in that scene alone, as she's like howling and crying and everyone is just staring at her is truly one of the most harrowing things I've ever seen in on screen. Yeah, it's actually it's really awful, and but it's also when he gets stabbed in the through the toilet cubicle wall. Yeah. Oh my god! Through the this ER is a bad way to go. Yeah, between Scream and like the first season of Twin Peaks, I I was very scared to go into public toilets for a long time. But yeah, Scream Two, like that's just one of the. I feel like the murder set pieces in Scream Two are very stylish. Like obviously starting with Jada. Um, and then there's that scene where Dewey and Gail kind of reconnect and are watching through the video footage. Cause they realize that the killer has been filming them this whole time and they're in like a classroom and they realize the killer is there and he chases them through this, these soundproof mm. rooms, like editing suites, I guess. And they can't hear each other. And so they don't, she doesn't hear when he gets stabbed. She just sees him up against the glass and like, that's truly such a terrifying sequence. And then there's Jerry O'Connell playing Sydney's boyfriend in Scream 2. And he has like this very like kind of on the nose Greek tragedy ending to his story, um, which kind of leads into our our final showdown with the killers. They also switched the knives for guns in that big finale. Like yeah, there's a lot that. of shooting going on in Scream 2. Yeah, there is, and I didn't feel they need to to ratchet that up. I mean, I guess they had to get away from like as the st- stab was presented in Stabavision at the beginning of Scream Two. <laughs> I guess they were trying to get away from that, but yeah, it becomes way more shooty as the series progresses. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the thing that's made Michael Myers so scary is that he had to be up close. He had to be like near you with a kitchen knife. It's and the first two are very gory, um, mm. and then by the time you get to Scream Four. It's like you're seeing entrails again. But Scream 3 is a lot less violent and that was because it was uh, essentially because of Columbine that they decided to take the violence level down a little bit. And, you know, like the Scream films, like in the first two at least, they talk quite a bit about like, you know, and like Scream 2 is essentially entirely a copycat killer murder, murders. Um, and by Scream 3 coming out, there were quite a lot of real-life copycat murders um, right. and, um, yeah, quite distressing scenarios uh, where teenagers were actually blaming Scream for what they had done or mm. 
alleging that that or saying that that was what they were inspired to do. It was being used a lot in court at that time. So I think Mm -hmm. that Scream 3 is a really different look at everything. And I think that that is quite remarkable and makes me like Scream 3. I'm not a Scream 3 hater. Um, I mean, look, let's just say Kevin Williamson didn't write it. He was like by that point he had gone so far past Scream. He was now like making Dawson's Creek was doing all this other stuff. So like Aaron Kruger was like a new screenwriter at the time he took the reins. So it, it, it sounded and felt different because it was like, it wasn't all the same guys. It wasn't all our guys. Yeah. And scream three, like, tell me about like why you like scream three so much BL. Okay. I like scream three predominantly because of Parker Posey and also fair, because fair. yes, she's so funny. Like, her playing a damsel in distress, but also trying to be Gail Weathers, who is a straight up bitch with those ba- the bangs in Scream 3, I think are like iconic camp. Um, Can I just say, and- I love Parker Posey so much, but outside of like Hal Hartley and Christopher Guest films, it is like she is in a different film every time to every single other person on set, including in Scream 3 always yeah she's kind of like the the uh, the version of that from earlier in the in the trilogy is henry winkler feels like that in scream one to me (laughs) he's in an absolutely different film where like principals like can touch their young female students arms a bit too much and also like swear at kids anyway (laughs) yeah and over the loudspeaker he's like you remember your principal loves you like he's (laughs) totally different yeah i didn't have a principal like that no thank god he's sort of like it's a precursor to his role in barry almost yes yeah absolutely it's the it's the middle ground between the fonz and and barry (laughs) um i mean i like i like screen tree because of the way it plays with those genres you know it's like it's the the gang goes to Hollywood. It's still, it's more horror, I think, than like the slashery pre previous films. Like, I've I've told you this off mic, but the sequence where Sydney is having a nightmare about her mother coming to the window mm. and being like, "Come to mother, Sydney." Like that's, I genuinely watch that between my hands to this day. I can't look at the screen when that's happening because it terrifies me so much i wrote in my notes horror of the ghost mama (laughs) you know the jay and silent bob cameo (laughs) yeah that's pretty good it's always going to be funny that they think gail weathers is connie fucking chung heather matarazzo joining the cast as randy's sister pretty good being like gail's like who the fuck is this and then she goes we miss you in woodsboro guys i'm like do you um and like Carrie Fisher, like the cameos by the time they got to Scream 3 were just incredible. But also, I mean, look, clearly the the storyline where there's this one, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? This one like evil genius conspiring to create all of this drama. He got into Stu and Billy's heads years ago. He's the reason that all of this, this happened because he and Sydney are half- siblings obviously that was a retcon down the line but also they tied up enough loose ends and like created enough of a like cohesive story that by the time scott foley is like dead and holding sydney's hand i was like 
That's her half-brother. She is now free. (laughs) And the final moment where she is walking her dog back at her... That was just a hay fever sniffle. It's not me working (laughs) myself up. Although I have cried at the very end of Scream 3 before. Because, A, I fully believe the chemistry between Dewey and Gail throughout the entire series. But when he proposes to her at the end of Scream 3 and they had just got married in real life um, and then Sydney walks in the door... And instead of locking it several times, setting an alarm, you know, having drawers full of mace and guns, she leaves the door unlocked. She walks into the next room and she hears the door blow open. And she just, there's just this lingering shot of an open door and Sydney looks at it. And then she turns away and walks away because she, she's not scared anymore. Like that truly is one of the most beautiful moments to me in like it gives me so much closure for her a character that I love so much and it is just like a beautiful end to this story which is like another reason why I find them kind of like bringing those three back the the core cast of Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Nee Arquette and David Arquette bringing them back again in four and five like I see I see Nev Campbell on screen now and I go she's been through enough like, don't don't put Sydney through this again. Our girl, our final girl. But let's talk about Scream Three. Like, what what what's your what's your vibes on the film? My, okay, my is <laughs> it's okay. It's okay that you don't like it. It's okay that you don't like it. I promise, I don't my mind. Issues start early on, and I think that that's where they stay. Is that the like cold open of Scream Three is bad? Like, I don't care at all about those characters. Um, You know, we get, like, Liev Schreiber and, like, that's all fine. He's become, like, this Hollywood guy who, like, you know, has, like, hit talk show kind of guy espousing all this, like, bullshit essentially, just making money, which is what he always wanted and fame and fortune. But the killing of his girlfriend at the beginning of Scream 3, I can't remember the actor's name, it just is nothing to me. Like, it's just like, okay, like, we've seen this all before. She's just, like, the least interesting, I suppose. So I think mm. that the setup was trying to do so much, like, like changing the location um, and the vibe of the whole thing. Like, it's not in any way funny like it's not chatty funny and the beginning of scream 2 as hideous as it is it's really quite funny and chatty uh there's a lot going on Mm. so i feel that with scream 3 the tone of it is off from the start and i think it's near impossible to come back from that and i really think it's because of the writer it's because it was a completely different writer and like there's a lot of meta fun stuff that happens from that point and I really enjoy like the cast of you know the Woodsboro murders you know Parker Posey obviously adore Sydney is like it's kind of weird and great um I love her so much so it's very cool once I realized that it was her because I didn't I don't like it didn't click when I first saw it um and Jenna McCarthy whatever uh, Patrick Dempsey, great. Like everyone in this film is really good, but it just never kind of gets over its own sense of being clever. Whereas I think the first two are really clever films. And I feel like this one is trying really hard to be clever and it just doesn't quite do 
enough. Like I had a good time watching it, but I was saying to mm. you that I watched the first I Scream 1 and Scream 2 back to back last week um, in preparation for this and also just to have a good time by myself, you know. <laughs> and then I started watching Scream 3, but it was like <laughs> at like 12.30 in the morning and it just like it wasn't clicking for me. And I was like, no, I really need to see this film on its own terms. And I went back and watched it a few days later and still had that, <laughs> still had that sense. You're kind of right. Like that, that opening with Cotton Weary and his girlfriend, who I believe is the mum from Gossip Girl. Um, yes, that makes sense. Kelly Reichardt, something. Not Kelly Reichardt. It's not Kelly, Kelly someone. Kelly someone. Fuck, I wish Kelly Reichardt was <laughs> oh in this God. movie. That's a really funny slip of the tongue. Scream um, Six by Kelly Reichardt. <laughs> that would be phenom. Um, yeah, you're right. It's kind of similar to what, what I was saying about Hocus Pocus 2 a few weeks ago, where it's like, that needed to be a bigger cameo similar to Scream 1 and 2, which is weird that it's not in a film so packed with cameos. And, like, as you were just as you were just talking about your feelings about Scream 3, it did really make me realise that by the time the, the core group has just whittled down to Sydney on her own, she has no friends or partner anymore, Gail and Dewey are kind of separated and they're feuding for most of the film, which is fun. Um but your core group then are just a bunch of actors. And mm. so it's really different from, you know, even for example, Scream 2, where we get like Randy and Dewey hanging out at the coffee shop and like Sydney with her boyfriend and a group of friends. Like there's not a whole lot of familiarity or like connection between the characters. And so it is just relying on you already caring about a few of them as mm. the rest of them just get like taken out one by one. It's more interesting to me than enjoyable, I suppose, is the thing. And I think it is like a lot of think pieces came out about Scream 3, like Justice for Scream 3 in the uh, years following like Weinstein and Me Too. And that is all really good and interesting. And I think like, yeah, actually that screenwriter was trying to do something with this film by uh, talking about, like what actresses had to go through, like in the casting, on the casting couch, etc. Um, and there's like a lot about Sydney's mother in this and what she had to do. And you got Carrie Fisher making jokes about the real Carrie Fisher having to sleep with George Lucas to get the part of Princess Leia. Like there's a lot going on and there are a lot of layers about Princess Leia's about like <laughs> the kind of sexual assaults and microaggressions that happen for women in the industry in Hollywood. Like that, all of that stuff is really, is really good, really interesting. But unfortunately for me, the whole, the film as a whole is not mm. enough. Mm. Yeah, there has, you're right. There was a lot of stuff kind of framing this movie as like, the the story about Harvey Weinstein that like happened under his nose. Cause like Miramax famously, was the production company on all three of these films. Um, and, yeah, the the character of John Milton, who is the big Hollywood producer of Scream 3, is, like, the guy who, you know, becomes, like, a almost like a sub-villain in this film when they get him to confess what he did to Sydney's mother when she was Rena Reynolds, this, like, aspiring actress before she moved back to Woodsboro. It's also significant to think of Rose McGowan's role in these films in that line. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
she became famous kind of off the back of Scream. A few years later, she was in Jawbreaker. So like teen queen dating Marilyn Manson, who, I mean, she didn't have an easy ride, I guess, but she is one of um, Weinstein's accusers. She um, alleged that he raped her in a hotel room. Um, But she also just like another element of this is that in her book, she described, and this is, I'm quoting an article from The Independent, she described the set of Scream as one of the last times she felt truly happy in Hollywood. She said the set was like a refuge for her and that Wes Craven specifically was, she said, a special and complex man. He treated us actors like his equals. It was a very special environment. He was so kind, a true gentleman. I thought all my movies with big directors were going to be like this one, and I was wrong. Um, and Craven, we haven't really talked about Wes Craven, but you know, he was resistant to make these films. He kind of had to be really talked into it. Yeah. I read, um, that some of the scripts, uh, didn't have a lot of information in them about like certain scenes or like what had to happen. And some of the annotations were just things like Wes Craven will make it scary. (laughs) Like, okay, sure. And he does, he does. (laughs) Okay, we haven't talked about the star of the trilogy, Debbie Salt, played by Laurie Metcalf in Scream 2. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the use of Nick Cave's red right hand, which... Oh, I mean, that's a character in and of itself. <laughs> Laurie Metcalf, just like, bless her. She is, I guess, I, she's unlike any other actor. I just adore her. Those eyes, the beady eyes. She's so good in this. Um, I mean, I think it's a kind of a dumb reveal, to be honest, in Scream 2 of who she is and what she is. But She's had, like, (laughs) immense plastic surgery. (laughs) So silly. But, wow, just love. Like, the second that she she comes on and is kind of feebly interrogating Gail Weathers, it's just, you're like, oh, she's someone. She's going to do something big. And Gail calls her like local, listen here, local woman or something. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. Because in Gail's world, everyone is a fan of hers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they it's, should be. They should be. I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Debbie Salt is incredible. Um, watching her and Sid kind of have their showdown is great. There's also like Cotton Weary obviously plays a bigger, his biggest part in Scream 2. And he shoots Debbie Salt because... <laughs> Sid promises an on-screen interview with the two of them and Diane Sawyer, which is all Cotton wants because he's so fame-hungry. And I kind of think that we should have been able to see that. Like, I want to see the the Diane Sawyer, Cotton-weary, Sidney Prescott interview. That should have been in Scream 3. Yeah, that should have been the opener of Scream 3. And then, you know, yeah, someone someone dies. Like, that is, that's Scream 3. The cast, I know I've said it before, but it is really epic. Like, we've got Heather Graham, we've got Luke Wilson, you know, Timothy Oliphant and, like, Joshua Jackson, who will always be Pacey to me. But Always. The- across the creek. <laughs> yeah, he didn't He didn't ever get the – he didn't do Michelle Williams, you know. Like, she – she crossed the creek. But, yeah, it's just um, it really was exciting for me to rewatch this. <laughs> it was like seeing all my old friends again. Luke Wilson's hair. Oh, my God. So bad when he's playing Billy Loomis. Oh, God. There are some other kind of like incredible um, cameos in 
Scream 1, my favourite of which, and I didn't even realise this, the other day I was filming my TV as this scene happened and I posted it on Twitter. It's after Sydney is first attacked and she's arriving at school with Tatum, her best friend, played by Rose McGowan, and, um, you know, Deputy Dewey drops them off and is like, you're going to be safe here, you're at school. And all of a sudden this woman, this, like, local news reporter, runs up and is like, how did it feel to get slash how does it feel the people have a right to know and that character uh is credited as obnoxious reporter played by uncredited cameo linda blair from the exorcist (gasps) oh my god that's good trivia i had no idea i know i put it on my twitter and was just like she served (laughs) and i'm now realizing that it was fucking reagan from the exorcist wow oh wow i need to watch that afresh head screwed on straight for once Can I ask you a question? I have just described in great detail how much the final moments of Scream 3 mean to me when Sydney is like good and at peace. But I did have a thought watching this movie and I'm going to posit it to you. Should Sydney have died in Scream 3? No, I don't think she should have because she is our final girl and it's nice to have her at the end of Scream 3. However... I think that the series should have stopped at Scream 3 as it was already like it was always intended to be a trilogy and the first three films constantly make jokes about it being a trilogy and like what a trilogy does in the horror horror world and what each film represents and it would have been quite neat even though I don't love Scream 3 but no I don't think she should have died but by the time you get to Scream 4 and she's like Dealing with her shitty cousin, um, Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts? Yeah, Emma Roberts. Mm-hmm. She, you're just like, Sydney, fuck, get, get out. Like, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be in Woodsboro. Don't worry about this cousin who's having a hard time. Like, mm. get out. Treat yourself, girl. Go to the spa or something. But, yeah, I don't think she should have died. I think that we should have just... I don't know. Like, even if it was fully rebooted in a way that she just, she's not around anymore. We don't know where Sydney is. That makes sense to me. Do you think she should have died? Well, there was just that moment where, you know, they have the video message from Randy where he's like, if you're watching this, it means that the killer got me Mm. in Scream 2. And that's another reason why I I love this trilogy because Randy is part of the core group as far as I'm concerned. But, and he gets um, one of the best lines when he's asked what his favourite scary movie is and his answer is Showgirls. It is one of <laughs> the best things to happen in any of the Scream films. He's so good. Oh, my God, Jamie Kennedy. He read the script for the first time on his elliptical, which I love. <laughs> but he, you know, he has that moment where he's explaining, like, if you're watching this, it means that we're in a trilogy, not a sequel. That means ghosts from the past. It means bigger kills. It means the... The killer can be superhuman. And they he said it means that anyone can die, including you, Sid. And just the fact that we come out of Scream 3 with the core trio of Gail, Dewey, and Sydney intact, I feel like they weren't – it wasn't like making good on Randy's rules almost. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why Scream 4 and 5 weren't so good. I <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not going to spoil what happens in Scream 5, but I will tell you, you were talking before about, like, them rebooting it, and by Scream 5, they just kept saying a word that I hope to never hear again in my life, which is requel. Oh, no. Yeah. I thought you were going to say (laughs) cancelled. 
<laughs> I fucking wish. <laughs> Woke moment. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Recall's bad. Make a scream with Shay Diaz in it. I think that is, and just like that, <laughs> it exists, babe. <laughs> I don't really have any see also's for Scream apart from imploring everyone to rewatch these films because they're still so good. I suppose watching Emily Mortimer in this reminded me of how much I loved her TV show Doll and M, and that would be a see also for me. Me too. I feel like that will come up at some point on see also anyway because uh, that show is so good. But and I know that we're in like the spooky season, but it's. it's, it's October doesn't need to be the only spooky month of the year. And Scream 2, set in like the, the scenes in the sorority houses and the frat houses, remind like obviously the they were taking quite a lot of inspiration from Black Christmas. And it made me really want to rewatch Black Christmas. It's one of the best, I think it is the best like Christmas horror films ever made. I'm not talking about the remake from a few years ago, which wasn't very good, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, the original is so good. It's quite hard to find, but it is worth finding. And there are, like, whole sequences from Scream 2 that really kind of put me back in that film. Oh, cool. I love a sorority sorority murder movie. Lala from Vanderpump Rules was in one a few years ago. Anyway, I have a few see also's. I mean, I'll link those um, oral histories and that piece about – um, Rose McGowan's book in the show notes, as well as some of the truly insane shit that Drew Barrymore did on her show to promote these movies, including when she had um, Nev Campbell, David Arquette and Courtney Cox on to promote the most recent Scream. We're calling it Scream 5. It's called Scream, but it's Scream 5. Um, Does it have a five somewhere in the lettering? Jinxie has no fives in it. <laughs> It's like the Halloween brackets 2018 and then it's just scream brackets 2022. Um, um, but she had them on her show and it was a Zoom interview and it's the most fucking awkward shit you've ever seen in your life. They were going through hell promoting this film, I don't know, in general or just with Drew Barrymore. But her first question to each of them is, what was your worst habit making this movie? And David Arquette opens and says, drinking. And Courtney Cox's face is dark when he says that it is a, a not a great interview I'll just say that I've got a one last C also for Scream and that is the Final Girls podcast the Final Girls is a UK cinematic collective uh out of London and they do lots of events over there like screening events and it's comprised from a number of like film critics and festival programmers but this podcast in particular like takes these deep dives into different tropes of horror films it's really funny and interesting and my last one is kind of a a reference to an episode we did ages ago about search party remember in season three or four of search party where cola scola's character had all these little dolls that looked like the cast of the show they were made by this uh, person whose Instagram handle is SciGuy88. I'll put his handle in the show notes. And he is an absolute scream head. He has made really incredible versions of Sydney from all three films. And he made this bust of Sydney specifically in Scream 3, where she's wearing the Greek letters from Jerry O'Connell's character around her neck. 
and I tried to buy it. It was like 300 American dollars and I was like, bargain. But he couldn't figure out shipping to Australia. So I never ended up getting it, but I looked at his profile and he's got even more Scream and Halloween and like all different pop culture gals on there. Thanks so much for listening to uh, this spooky little poodle. Um, we would love it if you left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a review. It really does help people to find the podcast and we really are keen to reach more people. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at see also podcast and share this episode with your screamhead friends. Yeah, and get in touch with us at see also podcast on Instagram to tell us what else you would like us to cover in our toy poodle episodes where we take our deep dives. Uh, thank you as always to Samuel Hodge for our incredible imagery and Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. Bye. See ya. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.